Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, now, I know it hasn't escaped the attention of sports fans in recent years just how many outstanding basketballers this country has produced, and we are about to meet one of them. Uh, he's played pretty much all over the world, but spent a lot of his career playing college basketball in the US, uh, where he also completed a master's degree in journalism. In 2015, uh, or he, he left uh, that university, but uh, he finished off in his final season there with an absolute fairy tale moment on the court. It was a playoff game. Uh, there was a second on the clock, a three-point bomb uh, sealed the win. You could not have made it up. But behind the scenes, it wasn't all a fairy tale. That magic moment I just described came uh, in his first game back, uh, having just rushed home to Australia to basically say goodbye to his mum, who was succumbing to cancer uh, at the time. A couple of years after that, at the age of 27, and by this point with an NBL title under his belt, uh, and with contract offers coming in, uh, he decided to take a bold decision and walk away from professional basketball and start the next chapter in his life. And we're about to find out why with our guest on Inspiring Stories, Peter Hawley. Hello, Peter. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. No regrets. Uh, It's been a few years on now, I suppose, for you to process and reflect on that big call that you made uh, a few years ago. Any regrets? Nah, not one, to be honest. And and that's the, the most settling thing for me is uh, not having those and a lot of people at the time when they started to hear that I wasn't playing and, and kind of questioning why I heard a lot uh, you're going to regret it you're so young you've got opportunities you've uh, I won a title and then we went to the grand final and lost that other the year after that before I decided uh, to step away but I just knew it was really what I had to do at the time in, in my own personal life and uh, it was daunting for a while for a few months but uh, I, I was worried obviously that I, I might have a couple of regrets because I just heard it so much from people around me even my family as well were just thinking what's going on but uh, I definitely ha- I look back and I think I got everything I could possibly have got out of basketball on a personal level. Yep. Uh, now, I've given a, a very, very brief summary of your career there, so we'll go through it all uh, in more detail. But uh, can you isolate a moment when you knew that this was the right thing to do, to to basically walk away and, and, and head off court? Uh, potentially not so much a moment, more so a, a few. Uh, it was in that second year playing for Melbourne and we were heading towards uh, the finals, playing, playing well as a team. Um, but I started rocking up to games and training it all started to weigh on me mentally before that but when I started getting to games or even training and was kind of fearful to even walk in the door and step onto the floor that's when I was like this isn't what am I doing here like I'm getting paid to play a sport that I, I love and grew up on loving and I was like why 
why don't I even want to step on? Like, why don't I even want to hear my name called to come and sub into the game? And it was mm. kind of those moments where I went home and talked to my now wife and just said, uh, and she was like, how, how did you feel the game went? And I was like, I, I don't understand what I'm going through because I don't want to be out there. This is not what I want to do. And, and now I've got to go do recovery in the morning, which I'm excited about. I love the guys. I don't have to do anything with the basketball on the floor. But then we talk about going back to training and trying to do all that. And I just didn't want to be there. And uh, a lot of it is when it becomes a chore, once it actually becomes a job, because let's be honest, being a professional athlete, as soon as it looks like a taxing job, feels like a taxing job, it's probably not for you. And that's when I really started to think. And as soon as I tapped into that, as soon as I, as I mentioned in, in cracks in my mind, they just became bigger and bigger really quickly. And that's mm. where I was like, look, this is, this is not me and I need to make a big change in my life. Yeah, it's a big call. And we'll build back up to uh, that stage in your career uh, in a little while. But let's go right back to the beginning, Peter. Tell us where you grew up and where you first remember stepping onto a basketball court and thinking, wow, this game's pretty cool. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, a town called Achunga in uh, Adelaide Hills. Um, yep. That was my first to grow up on a big farm there. Country kid and had every animal you could think of. And it was a gravel basketball court that I had. Uh, that was when I really started to fall in love with the game. And it's my, I have a twin sister who was exceptional at basketball, always better than me until, uh, until probably 18, 19 years old. Uh, my old man uh, was a soccer man, played for Nottingham Forest over in England. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so my, that was way back in before he came over to in the, to Australia. My uh, my mum uh, my mum was a softball for uh, for the state or Australia. I can't remember all that. So really, basketball just happened to be because we had it in the backyard. Over a family full of footballers, James Ash, cousin of mine, that's mum's brother's son, all the Ash family. So I uh, had football running through our family, but basketball mm. kind of picked up for me and. I played footy in high school, loved it, but basketball was ultimately what my, my sister and I would always do out the back, and that's what we fell in love with. Pretty brutal place to learn on a gravel court, though. How did the knees cope? Well, yeah, the <laughs> knees actually were one reason in college that I could never really get to my peak athleticism, whatever that was. I had shocking knees with tendonitis. Maybe that traces back to then. <laughs> um, but, yeah, had some had some bad falls on that, actually. I bet. Specifically, my first ever bike that I got for Christmas, I'll never forget it. They had the... I never learned that the front and the rear brakes are supposed to be on the same side. Oh, for every bike, it's supposed to be the same and mine reversed. So I hit the front brakes when I first had a bike and went straight into the gravel and to the uh, side of the ring. So that was a nice <laughs> little welcome to the gravel concrete. And then spent most of my childhood in Handorf growing up. So that was uh, that was another time to really get to know basketball and I guess that side of sport and the country lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you had a, a you have a twin sister, Emma. Uh, who was yep. a great basketballer too. Do you have one of those special twin relationships, almost that sixth sense under t- understanding between you? Only twice. And it's uh, people always thought about it growing up. And it was one time, so playing for South Australia country in the all Wirradonga tournament every single year, um, basically they take two teams of 10 and try and pick a national team out of that it's kind of a warm-up for all the country teams in the in around the nation and I was playing it with Donga my sister was at Albury and I remember coming off dad was with me mum was with M and I just told dad I was like my my right foot is aching right now and he's like what do you mean I was like right here like I don't know what I did and he's like your sister just broke her fifth metatarsal on that foot and I was like that's just got to be a coincidence but that was the first thing and I was like this is pretty creepy spooky uh and the only other one was Going back for, I think it was my either fourth year or fifth year at school before it started, 
And I was out with one of my best mates over there and I just had this feeling that I was like, something isn't right. I don't know what it is. And I had a phone call about an hour later from my sister saying that she was pregnant with my niece. So that was kind of, whether that was both things <laughs> coincidental, I don't know, but I like to think. Who knows? I'm sure others will try to explain that uh, in some logical or magical way. We'll leave that <laughs> to sure. them. I, I have to ask, you know, it's you and your sister initially, Peter and Emma, and then yep. you've got younger sisters that come along. Uh, I hope I'm getting the pronunciation right. Is it Venetia and Zena? How did you guys Zena, end up with? How did you guys end yeah, up with, with with good, solid, fairly dare I say well, normal? Peter and Emma. They're they're, oh, they're older. Yeah. How come they they're got older. the flashy names and you got, you guys didn't? Well, that was from my dad's uh, my dad's first marriage. So yeah, they're about right. uh, they're forty years old. And yeah, I remember <laughs> uh, they were living in England a lot growing up. And then once. Uh, we had, my sister and I am got to understand who they were. It was kind of the names was always funny early right. on. Um, yeah, but now Sorry, yeah, I beg your pardon. It's, it's yeah. great. They live in Melbourne now, so I get to see them yeah. heaps of the last five or so years, which has been awesome to be able to reconnect with them. Do you feel a bit ripped off that you got such boring names? <laughs> no, I've, I've never been a big fan of Peter. That's why I've glad everybody called the Hills. I grew up with PJ because my middle name, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's a big step down. From <laughs> uh, at least you wouldn't have to, uh, you know, tell a story every time you uh, introduce yourself to someone. Um, you yeah, mentioned, exactly. uh, you know, your mum and dad, very sporty people. Uh, softball and 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 soccer um, between your mum and dad there. Um, were you one of those sporting families there? Were you always you know heading off to a court here or training there or a match here? Um, just constantly in the car, just you know going back and forth. A hundred percent. Yeah, whether it was uh, M or me. I mean, I pretty much remember. I either trained or played basketball every night of the week growing up because yep. I would I get an exemption to playing dad's over forty team when I was about. <laughs> 12 or so and just could shoot every time played in the local country competitions and then we both played uh we both played for eastern mavericks the local team but then we left that in under 12s and we had to start traveling down to adelaide to i played for north flames she played for sturt so that was that uh my sister played netball she was a good netball as well and i was playing uh footy for a chunga and then stopped that and just played footy for uh for school so i had a bit of a decision to make i think mm. a lot of people thought i might follow uh, the footy bloodline, just sit at full forward, don't take any hits. So it was always <laughs> a nice thing to do. Um, but I ultimately chose basketball because we, as I went to Concordia College where my cousin James went and we never made it past the first round in football knockout. Uh, and I was a year 11 uh, and we ended up having a really good team. And a lot of the local guys from the Sandfall were playing uh, who uh, in our year level, year 12. And we made it all the way to the grand final of the knockout country division. And we were up about 45 points during the third quarter. We thought we were home. All the school came to watch. Mm. And I remember we were we were down three or something, about 30 seconds to go. And I was running for the ball about 40 out on the wing. And a guy grabbed my Guernsey and I kind of sold it got a free kick and I went back and I was just thinking, kick it straight, kick it straight. Uh, kicked it dead straight, but it dropped to the top of the square. They rushed it through and then the siren went and our captain, Jock of the bloke, always trying to be bullying everybody at school, broke down in tears and I was like, footy ain't for me, that's it. <laughs> so I went straight to basketball and good yeah. things happened after that. Yeah, well, you've, you've led us nicely uh, to the break. Um, thank you for that, Peter. After that, I'll ask you, um, about that time in your life. You've just finished school. How on earth you ended up uh, firstly on the radar uh, of college basketball in the US and then the move that took you uh, to Albany 
uh, to continue your playing career there. So we'll get into that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Peter Hawley is our special guest. Back with more of his story after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our special guest in this episode is, uh, well, now retired uh, former professional basketballer Peter Hawley. Uh, Peter, going up, uh, growing up, um, obviously you're a, you know a, an outstanding athlete. Um, at, at what point during your teenage years did you think this could actually be my career? This is what I'm going to do after school. Uh, in terms of playing professional, probably not until I went to college. Really, I mean, where my thought process was to get to college was I. I guess it was because mainly Patty Mills and Delhi being at St. Mary's kind of gave us more college to watch on TV at the mm. time on, on Foxtel because really you, you didn't think too much about going to college at the time. Uh, this is back in uh, about 2010. So um, didn't think too much of it until I started watching a bit more and I fell in love with uh, the Blue Devils, Duke University, JJ Reddick. I loved uh, naming my border collie at the time. Duke just was obsessed <laughs> with everything there. and That's where I kind of got the feeling I want to go try uh, what well, college has to offer, but it was still kind of hard to get recruited um, to go over there. So that was something that I was trying to think about. And I think dad paid, dad found a recruitment service in Adelaide for my sister and I, we both wanted to go. So we were probably in ending year 11 at the time. Uh, they paid five grand to this recruitment service for each of us. Um, and then we never heard from the bloke again. So right? he said, yeah, he goes, I'll reach out to a few schools and, just ran away with it. Um, that's when I kind of thought, okay, this college dream's probably over. And it wasn't until I went to under 20s nationals uh, for the South Australia combined team, every state's combined at that, at that moment where someone there had, Phil Collins used to be an assistant coach. He's Australian at Albany for the women's team. Yep. He was there and put my name on to, to coach Brown, who reached out to me and kind of offered me uh, that and had to kind of take a blind pick. I was talking to a couple of other schools and a couple of division two schools. I just wanted to experience college. I didn't yep. think about, playing at the highest level. I just want to, oh, if it was division two or whatever, I wanted to know what this American college thing was like, get a yeah. free education if I can get a scholarship and do that. So Absolutely. it was kind of a whirlwind going yeah. from, okay, sweet, we've got a recruitment service and now hearing from them and then getting an offer, which was all in the midst of probably six months. So what was it like? You obviously had an idea in your head of what college life would be like in the States. Did it measure up? It, it did eventually, but not at all in the first time. So luckily uh, I had another Australian by the name of Luke Devlin from New South Wales who'd been there for a year already. So I spoke to him about it. He kind of painted the picture of what it was like. And I had another Aussie, Sam Rowley, who was uh, one of my best mates over there. He was going over at the same time. So we flew over together and we got there because we had to do an international trip beforehand in 2011. And I remember walking in to our dorm at the time. So the freshman year, first year dorm, and there was a giant pole in the middle of it, so much so that you couldn't actually walk between the two single beds. And he's six six, built <laughs> huge. And I'm I turned around to our assistant coach and I said, This can't be serious. I can't live in this situation. And yeah. I kind of thought, I was like, what is going on here? Uh, we ended up bunking the beds, but he luckily he got a girlfriend that he's now his his now wife uh, <laughs> from the very first weekend and uh, he spent a lot of time there. So it was a good environment once you got to know that and then once you got a bit older and understood both I guess the responsibility of you got to keep your grades up they're pretty yep. tight on that very tight on that in my school got to perform well but then still enjoy what the college scene has to offer yeah it was the best the best five years of my life yeah 
That's great. Uh, I know the first year uh, in terms of playing, you didn't get much uh, much court time because of injury. Uh, was there any moments during that first year where you thought, well, this might be a pretty short-lived adventure? Yeah, pretty early on. So uh, my first game ever was at Pittsburgh. And after our, our pre-season trip to Canada, I, my coach was, I was going to be sixth man and play a lot of minutes and contribute a lot, which was exciting as a freshman that don't often happen. Mm. Um, and then we played at Pittsburgh, got absolutely whooped by them. And then uh, we headed to Syracuse to play Syracuse in the Carry Dome, which was the first real experience in me of a massive like division one facility. And um, Dion Waiters stepped on my foot and, and, and kind of broke my navicular bone. Um, and I uh, ended up going to see a specialist. And it was when that happened, once I knew it was broken, because I could still kind of play for a little bit of walk around on it. Um, I had, once I got the the news, it was when my mum, dad, and my grandma were in the air from LA to New York to come and watch me play the next game. Oh. And this is back when there was no Wi-Fi on the plane. So I'm calling them saying, look, I'm trying to leave messages, leave messages. I ended up getting onto grandpa. Uh, he kind of just calmed me down a little bit. And when they landed, they called and I told him, I said, you're not watching me play. I'm sitting out the whole year. So that was tough, but it kind yeah. of, it helped me because mum was going through obviously her cancer treatments at the time and um, helping me trying to see the positive side of it. And they could also be there just when I saw the specialist and figure out what was best for me. So yeah. it was a tough year. College is no joke. You watch, you with, you wait for an hour and a half in the morning, you're three hour training in the afternoon and when you yeah. don't actually get to do anything, you just yeah. have to sit there in, when it's in the winter in upstate New York, it's unbelievable. Brutal. So it was, it was really, really brutal for a lot of the time that year. Yeah. I think people um, have this idea of what, uh, you know, being on a sports scholarship to an American college must be like and, and maybe have a view that it's all about the sport. You know, you, the, the grades are kind of you know, fairly superfluous to things, but it wasn't the case for you, was it? You genuinely went there for an education as well. No doubt. That's something that mum always preached to me was how important education was. And her, her realized uh, her reason for that was you're only one injury away from not playing, picking up a basketball again. Um, but I, I really, I, I enjoyed school. It was mm. something that I, I really found joy in doing ever since year 12, uh, doing all that. But I had to sit in SAT to be able to get to college and, and do all that path. And um, I never prepared for a, a long test like that, how strict they were. And uh, writing's obviously a strength of mine, but I didn't know that that part of the test they don't even look at. They look at two of the other ones. And so I only just scraped into a division one level. I remember having the first meeting uh, with my head coach and the co academic coaches. And they said, look, um, you have to obviously to be able to be eligible by the NCAA. I think it's a C average. Like you have to be pretty bad of a student not to be able to be eligible. Yeah. Um, and they said, look, we see your SAT. We're going to just monitor it. Now you've got to do study hall every eight hours a week. I think it is to start in study hall, tick all that off. Um, and I was like, I'll, I'll be all right. Like, I'm sure I'll be fine. Like, I love my school. And yeah. I ended up, uh, ended up graduating. With, I can't remember my undergrad, but my master's degree, 3.98 GPA. I had one A minus, and I'll never forget that professor because it ruined my mm. straight A's master's program. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a whirlwind, but it was yeah. it was enjoyable. And to be able to get that all out of a scholarship was was pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty good deal, really. Uh, what about the ba <laughs> the basketball itself? I mean, we I think even. Uh, a pretty casual basketball fan knows uh, how intense and how e extremely good uh, the, the college basketball scene is uh, in the States. Was it as tough and as full on as you expected it to be? Oh, by far. It was more than that. I, I kind of had a picture of what to expect. I'd been training with the Adelaide 36s for the year before I went to college to try yep. and prepare myself. I wasn't able to play, but 
just to be playing against and training against men to try and get everything right. And um, it's, it's so full on. It's such just, it's a slap in the face if you're not ready for it. But I guess that's the silver lining of being injured. I could kind of prepare for that, try and juggle my time. So I still had to be at training. So the average day you're up at 6.30, you maybe have weights as a team from 7 till 8.15, then shower, have breakfast. Some people have class anywhere from 8.30 until 2. Uh, and then you've got training from three o'clock till five thirty-six, and then you have mandatory study hall from six thirty mm. to whenever you want to leave to tick off your hours and go to bed, have dinner, to get up and do it all again. So yeah. to be able to stay your grades being good uh, and also staying fit and in a high level, it, it's tough to do. And a lot of people I think struggle in the first year because it's a giant slap in the face. Yeah. How did you go with the separation from your your family? You sound like you're all pretty close. Uh, you're on the other side of the world. You know, how often did you get to talk to them, come back to Australia or, you know, the family go and visit you? Was it was that tough? Yeah, it was. Uh, luckily, I mean, we had, I had the other two Australians, so I kind of had that connection from home. We talked about all the stuff going on in Australia, so that was always good to watch footy and stuff together. Um, but it was different for me. Uh, about five months before that, uh, when I found out mum was diagnosed with bowel cancer, is when I didn't want to go at all, and she kind of forced me to go on a plane. To It was my dream, so she said, if you don't go, then how is she going to be able to get through her thing? Um, so that's where it was tough to be able to keep checking in with her. But I was on the phone every day, whether it was mm-hmm. just text and Skype. There was no FaceTime at the time. It was just Skype trying to catch up uh, with my sister, mum, dad all the time. And they were always going to try and come over every single year to visit me. Uh, and then I was also thankful, as I said, the Aussies. One of our families would always be there around Christmas. So we always go to New York City and stay all together, um, yeah. do all that kind of stuff, uh, which was kind of cool to be able to still connect to Australia, maybe if I didn't have my immediate family there for the holidays i'll get you to reflect on uh you know the, the very end of your mum's cancer journey in just a moment but uh, your five years in albany i have to check myself as a west australian obviously you grow up with albany so i have to i'll apologize in advance if i yeah. if i get I that wrong and say albany but uh, albany uh, the community there absolutely fell in love with you over the five years uh that you were there i just want to read out to you this is from a, a local uh, albany uh, publication. It said, uh, over the years, the guard became a good player, then a dynamic one, and then a great one. Off the court, he proved to be accommodating and engaging, a thoughtful speaker and rock star student. That's a pretty good report card. Yeah. I mean, look, I've got so much thanks to give to the entire community. And that started with my head coach. He was like a fatherly figure and his wife uh, at the time. For me, with what I was going through, it's, I've never had a coach with that kind of connection still speak so much to this day. So the community embraced me. And the one thing that I could always remember is I came to coach with an idea because my family was doing uh, the undies run for bowel cancer and yep. obviously cancer in America. And I said, can I do some sort of fundraising thing? Because I can't be back to running it. And they put together things, people were making bracelets and there was donations. And I think I'm trying to remember, I think it was maybe they raised eight grand or something on the night we were playing. Mm. Um, and I was in the press conference and I was kind of emotional just trying to thank everybody for supporting that. And then someone popped up to say there was an anonymous donor who was going to match that total. And they, I kind of lost it. I was like, why? Like, I'm just a young kid. <laughs> from Australia you don't even really know me or my family like that's a really emotional thing to have to go through so yeah I have so much thanks to to give that entire community and yeah I guess the best I could I got asked to be a keynote speaker for our graduation class to speak in front of 15,000 people which was awesome to try and set our graduation class off into the future Um, that was a real special moment of mine I remember as well what a moment um, there was another magical moment. I mentioned uh, at the very start of our chat, uh, Peter, uh, your miracle buzz- buzzer beater. 
Um, we're going to relive that moment right after we take a break. So stick around for that and talk us through it uh, from your perspective, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind. Uh, this is Inspiring Stories. Peter Hawley is our special guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Drive for the tie. No good. Rebound comes out to Hooley for the win. 1.6 left. Albany by one. Purifoy is stripped. And Albany is going to the NCAA tournament. The the right on this night. There was really no other choice. Peter Hooley of the Albany Great Danes. He's from Australia. He, he was the team leader, all right? Lead the team in points. His mom gets sick. She's on her deathbed in Australia. He goes back, misses eight games, comes back, and hits the game winner for Albany in the America East Championship game against Stony Brook. And he said mom, or mum, as they say in Australia, guided that one in. Look, you got to believe on some level that faith plays a role in that, and that was an unbelievable finish. It was the only three-pointer Albany made as a team the entire game. Congratulations to Peter Hooley. He called it the moment of his life and what's been an unbelievably emotional year for that young man. Oh, there you go, Peter. What a magic moment. Does it still give you goosebumps listening to that? <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, all of it, just the call and... Uh, you just have to hear it and I can envision watching it, I guess, from uh, all the, the YouTube videos and the videos that are still around that pop up every year. There's an anniversary yeah. for it. And <laughs> I always say, twist my arm, I'll, I'll repost it. But yeah, <laughs> if I um, have to. Yeah. Because, yeah, when it, I don't actually, when you talk about remembering straight after, I, there's probably a minute or so straight after that that I don't remember a single thing. It was kind of just... I completely blank and like the emotions of obviously what I just been through with mum and then to win a title on your shot it was it was kind of just all blank and I had just no clue what had happened yeah I mean if it was a script in a movie it had just it's so outlandish you'd roll your eyes at it (laughs) you're right I mean a lot of people said elements to it you know it's almost it's incredible and then I should say that clip that we took uh where they were chatting about it you know that was on um ESPN's Sports Center program, which is a pretty flagship show. You were kind of that that awesome news story uh, in the news cycle there, uh, right across the states, weren't you? Which must have been an incredible experience in itself. Yeah, it was. It went from obviously winning, which was our third title in a row for conference title, which was an, an amazing thing, um, to becoming my story and how emotional it was being national news. And I kind of I spent so long. Uh, writing about my struggles and dealing with it uh, just on myself and rather than speaking about it because there's a lot of things. I never wanted to burden anyone with things I was going through because I didn't think that was fair because they wouldn't understand. So I will always write, but now all of a sudden I have to confront I had to speak about it because it was this news. And I remember straight, I think it was an hour or so after the game, I got a tap on the shoulder from our media uh, woman who said, you've got to go on Skype upstairs for Sports Centre. And I was like, oh, this is sick. Like, I'm on Sports Centre. Did that and then went out, obviously had a good night and celebrated that. Um, came back for to do Selection Sunday, had to speak to Charles Barkley and all that live. And then once we found out who we played, I got another call saying, you're driving down to Bristol, Connecticut to go to the ESPN studios and be in studio for their 11.30 live 
show and then yep. uh, their morning show as well. So I was like, wow, this is this is full on. Because that's where I always knew that's kind of the route I wanted to do after basketball stopped is, is kind of do those kind of sport shows and talk about sport, commentate sport. So to be there was pretty surreal. Me- meeting all the anchors, meeting all the hosts, that was uh, a really yeah. special moment as well. And I've got to say, uh, I've seen that clip. You looked very comfortable there on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because I think they expect so many people to be nervous about it and yeah. it's a big thing um, but I was just in awe of like the whole studio I think it's changed a lot now but it's like a college campus it's massive um, and I remember meeting a few people on the way out and they were just saying oh like uh, you, you did seem comfortable and I was like oh, this is kind of what I want to do and they said oh well if you don't go back to Australia let us know put your resume in and Brilliant. we'll throw you in somewhere and I was like oh wow I was like that, that would be unreal and yeah. obviously well, maybe that's future down the track if mm. see how things go but no, nah, it was a surreal experience. Yeah. Um, let's go back to, to uh, the end of your uh, time then at uh, Albany. Obviously, you've had that magic moment. Um, you've, you've kind of finished up playing, but you wanted to complete your studies. Um, you end up with your, your master's degree. Um, you got your dream move to come back and play professional basketball here in Australia, uh, but that all went pear-shaped um, pretty quickly through absolutely no fault of your own. <laughs> Talk us yeah. through that chapter uh, in your life, though. It must have been horrendous. It is another whirlwind. Again, just the emotions, just getting them all. So once I finished my studies, I still had six months to complete a giant thesis, but I could do that from wherever I was going to take off from. So yep. the following year, and we lost in the in the conference uh, quarterfinals, I think it was. It was a bad loss, but I was done and signed with an agent, and he told me, he's like, look, um, Townsville, very interested in you, so I'll have something to put together, and we've got to – We'll get something sorted there. And I was like, sweet. I was like, I want to come home. He's like, most of the other teams are full. And I was like, sweet, that sounds good. Uh, I went to bed and I remember waking up and he's like, Townsville doesn't exist anymore. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, Townsville's done. Um, and I, I didn't kind of understand it. And this is before I think Larry Kesselman took over the NBL. So the NBL was in a pretty bad way overall. Hmm. Um, and I was like, well, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and he knew I had an English passport. So he's like, leave it with me. I'll, I'll do some uh, things, stuff in Europe and see what I can find. Uh, this is before Brexit as well. So my English passport would have let me be a local everywhere in Europe. So I had plenty of opportunities and he came back. Uh, a few weeks later, I think it might have been a couple of months later, that um, Plymouth in England, uh, Reese Carter was there. He, I'd known him from my late 36s days, so we were pretty close. And he said, look, there's a chance to, to go over there and play a lot in your first pro professional gig. It's not much money, but uh, you get a car, you get to live and experience it. So I kind of did that thinking it was my, really one of my only options and set, my, set away on that. And it ended up being a, a living nightmare, to be mm. perfectly honest. Why, why was that? I've, I've read some of your reflections on that time and it just sounds like an absolute nightmare. Why was yeah, that? And I've heard a lot of stories about people going to Europe and stuff to, to play and it being a nightmare, but a lot of that is maybe the language barrier or what country they're in. I mean, I'm in England and Plymouth's a beautiful place. So I, I thought it was going to be perfect for me, but um, just a lot of things happened with the way I was treated and I, I don't like to, to open too many can of worms because I, I wrote down basically everything that happened on an eight page blog that I never released. Cause I just wanted to have this ready to go in case it ruined my career or I couldn't do anything or something came back to bite me. So I, I have oh, probably 40 odd instances that I could pinpoint down to how bad I was treated and just not even as a player, but just as a person and just mm. as a human being, shouldn't that happen? So by, I ended up talking to Reese by and teammates and, and people at the club or just by yeah, just yeah, random yeah, encounters with the public? Yeah, a bit, of, a bit of both. I was pretty close with a lot of the teammates. Um, yeah. 
And they, and they, they were the ones that came to me and said, look, mate, if you want, if you want to continue your professional career, Reese is one, Reese is like, you just, you've got to go. Um, Cause early on when I was struggling and I was really struggling mentally, I went to him and said, look, I can't do this. And he said, if you leave halfway through a season in your first professional gig, he's like, you're going to struggle to get another job. So I was like, okay, I'll just try and make the best of it. I'll just kind of do what I can. And got to the point where he came to me. He's like, mate, you have to go. He's like, I don't know what you're going to do, but you've just got to get out of here. I uh, went to the club. I uh, went to the general manager at the time and said, look, like, this is what's happening. And he wasn't aware of it all, but he granted my release. He said, no problem. And it was pretty emotional for me leaving the office and was driving home. My girlfriend at the time, my wife, well, she was had moved over. Uh, she was going to just stay out there before and start her life out there. And so we were in our own little apartment. I get another call saying, you've got an hour to be cleaned out of the apartment, have the car back and the keys back. Wow. So we cleaned up, picked up our life. We've been there for five months and I slept on Reese Carter's toddler's bed with uh, with my wife. And then we went to London, flew back via her family in New York, flew home and uh, was thankful to get a chance to play for Ballarat Miners in the Seaball now in BL1. And that's kind of what led to the rest of my mm. Australian career starting. Yeah. Um, it's a lot to to place on your partner, isn't it? Uh, being in your shoes, um, we, you know, even when you are settled for a season or two, you don't know if that's going to be long term. You don't know whether you're putting roots down. Uh, it's a lot to ask, isn't it? It is, especially when uh, you're in my position. It's not a whole lot of money early on, so it's kind of like if you can expect to get there in a few years' time. That might be different, but. Um, we had only just started really dating six months before I was going to graduate. We knew of each other um, and I wasn't sure if anything was going to come of it until I made a phone call to dad and said, look, I don't know what to do uh, with this. And he said, will you regret if you don't try it with her? And I said, yep. So next morning he'd given two plane tickets to fly us both back to Australia so he could meet her and she could spend a few weeks there. And she fell in love with the place. And that's kind of where we knew yep. we were going to have a crack at long distance for six months or so. And then England was a great spot for her to be able to come over. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, it's a lot to say, okay, we're picking up, we're moving here. Don't mm. have a whole lot of money at the time. And, mm. and then she would come to Australia, had to get her driver's license because she's from Brooklyn, never had that. So she went, got her driver's license in two weeks in Brooklyn, where it takes like five years in Australia and then came out and moved to Australia and lived in Ballarat of all places to start uh, her life in what Australia. What an introduction. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you've obviously um convinced her that it's the place to be because uh, you you do have a good ending uh, to this story well you need to take a break uh, peter but after that uh, we're building back up to the the time in your life where you've uh, you've spent a couple of years at melbourne united one of those are title winning years uh, and then you make the big bold call uh, to walk away from the game we'll get into that in more detail right after we take a break peter hawley is our special guest on Inspiring Stories. Back with more after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is now retired basketballer uh, turned media professional in Peter Hawley. Uh, Peter... Can I ask, uh, you know, just before we sort of get on to um, your time in Australia, um, losing your mum as you did, obviously, you know, there was a, a build-up to her passing and she was a, a great supporter uh, of you and, and, and your endeavours in basketball. What was she like as a, um, as a, as a motivator and uh, as a fan, as a critic, you know, outside of being a, a mum? What, what, what role did she play in terms of your basketball? 
uh, as I guess she was my coach, like critical yeah. as it gets. And we had games obviously in college at 3 a.m. and I'd get a text straight after saying, you didn't hold your follow through or you didn't do this, <laughs> you didn't do that, drop your bottom lip. So um, I, I guess all that came from her growing up with Michael and, and Andrew Aish and footballers playing at a high level. So she kind of understood all that. So it was really only when I had a phenomenal game or maybe while we won something as a team where I got it, got that, um, yeah. oh, I'm proud of you and stuff, but I knew obviously all along. So yeah, uh, it kind of kept me in check and it was good to be able to have, have those moments for sure. Bit of tough love. You need it. I mean, I was a lot of the time growing up when I was little getting beat up on the basketball court by my <laughs> twin, um, was getting all those moments and she was always said my time would come. And then when it did, I was thankful that it happened the way yeah. it did. Um, a couple of uh, seasons at Melbourne United. One of them uh, I mentioned was a, a title-winning year. Um, did it make it seem like your struggles to that point had been kind of worth it? Getting to say you've got a, an NBL title now to your hand to, to your name. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, obviously, what I'd gone through struggles with, with dealing with mum passing in college and then what I went through in England and to come back and I knew straight away I told my agent I don't want to go back to Europe or whatever if I don't get an NBL gig I don't get an NBL gig I'll try and find a work um, and then I was thankful to get the opportunity to, to play with Melbourne and have a big part of that title winning team so it was kind of everything it seemed like it was behind me and I was like this is sweet like all, all these tough times because I look back now at my whole career my whole journey every time I started a journey I'd have a setback. So I broke my foot in college, uh, my professional time in England, Melbourne United, even the first, we played Adelaide in the, my season opener, my uh, NBL opener. And then we flew to OKC to play Oklahoma City. Um, and we had a training before that. And I, I did my ankle pretty bad, had to sit out for a couple of months. So it was kind of, it was always something along the way that really set me back. But I thought, I was in the clear. I was like, this is great. This is, I'm in Melbourne. I'm enjoying this. We're winning, surrounded by phenomenal teammates. I, I thought everything was was pretty rosy. And yet at 27, uh, we mentioned it at the start of the program, at 27 years old, you, you're arguably in your prime. You walk away. It's, it's such a big call, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, and again, that's a lot of that came back to the reflection of, of who I was. I was coming home from the training, from games, and, and I was either unhappy or I was angry. And that wasn't fair to my, my partner. Uh, I, and it was all why good. was that, though? Why, why were you so unhappy? Was it a, a physical toll it was taking on you? Was it you, you no, were physically it was, in pain? What was it? It was all mental. It was all, all the mental barriers that I was trying to get through as being a professional athlete when, when you're not one of those main guys where you, where you could not say money will make you happy but money will give you confidence or mm. I mean will give you security in your job in your profession I was on two one-year deals um, and it was obviously I had to play in the off season to make sure that I get enough money to live off so we'd moved house seven times in three years we came to Ballarat and we went to Blackrock back to Ballarat so I could play in the off season make some money there then to Albert Park then to Elwood then to Elstonwick then to Prant so it was kind mm. of all of this, uh, the last two happened when I'd moved out uh, of playing, um, obviously throw England in before that. And my wife, being American, came over. She had to get a new job every time we moved. So it was something that I was like, this isn't fair to you if we're starting our life out here. And that anxiousness, especially in the second year, being on a one-year deal again, it was like, if I'm not performing, who's going to pick me up? Or are they going to want me back? Or maybe I have to go... Uh, to another team, do I have to go up to Cairns, do I have to go to New Zealand, do I have to go to Perth? These are big moves. And it was kind of got to the point where that anxiety was so hard to deal with and the more, and every athlete would go through similar thoughts, similar questions, but it just built up so much more 
on me as a person that I became someone I, I never want to become again. And that's when I was thinking about what I'd learned, what I'd seen through mum's struggles and what made her get through tough times. But I said, look, I've got to do something here. I've got to put someone else's happiness first, which yep. was my wife. And she was happy where we were. So I said, it's time to pull the pin. Yeah. I imagine you got a variety of reactions. Heaps. I remember when I told dad, cause he was like, what's going on? And, at the time, I was like, oh, I've got uh, a few teams, NBL, I can go back overseas if I want. And I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do. Because I was, I was honestly, I was too afraid to kind of tell him at the time. Um, because he was, when he was working, he was always tell people, everyone to watch my game. He was so proud of everything that I did. So I was a bit afraid to, to tell him uh, what was going on. And I, I wasn't sure how to do it, especially grandma. Grandma loved watching every game. And um, she still doesn't understand. I've tried to explain hmm. it to her, but she still calls and she tells me, she goes, I watches the game and maybe she's watching Melbourne United play and she knows Chris, obviously, and would turn around and say, well, I, I know you're better than Chris Golding. And I said, that's no <laughs> way I'm even close, Grandma, but I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I got a, a lot of mixed reviews from my immediate family and uh, had a good chat with Dean Vickerman, who kind of, I told him, I said, look, I, I know there's a spot there, but I'm comfortable with my decision. But if you need yeah. someone to fill it, I'll go around again just to be around the guys. So that was kind of where that was at. Yeah. And yet you still obviously love the game itself because you're still around it. You work now as a as a commentator um, around basketball commentary for ESPN and, and, and Channel 10. So you obviously still love the game, right? Yeah, I, I, loved, I loved dissecting the game. I love talking about the game. But the main reason I wanted to be really involved with the NBL side of media things, um, basketball, I obviously have a really good understanding of the game. Um, to talk about um, and but I, my relationship with players whether they're new or whether I knew them I can get so much out of them that I, they're comfortable to talk to me because I've obviously got my master's in, in media and journalism but I just love being able to connect with with athletes on a human level rather than just seeing them as basketballers so I think that was what really pushed me to try and tell the NBL can I get this opportunity because I, I feel like I'll be able to get some stuff out of players that perhaps normal journalists or everyday journalists maybe couldn't. Yeah, all the study in the world, but it still doesn't match the insight that you get uh, from your experience. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> it's cruel on the rest of us, uh, Peter, have to uh, have to work at it, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so what does the future hold uh, for you then? Is, is media where you would like to be for the next chunk of your life? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I love I love all sports. I'm obviously a big footy family, but actually every sport. I'm a sport fanatic. When it comes to Saturdays and Sundays, my wife gets mad when I got the TV from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. <laughs> just flicking through all the different sports. Uh, I, I love basketball, obviously, and I love how Australian basketball where it's heading towards. Um, so to be able to keep growing my roles here, analysing the game, but breaking down the game, talking to players. And I'd like to be able to get a bit more of those one-on-one -on -one chats with players to kind of open up their stories mm. of them as humans, whether they're tough emotional stories that I can connect with. I feel like I have that empathy and I understand a lot of what I wanted to hear and what I wanted people when talking to me when I was going through a tough time. I feel like I can help that. And uh, doing all that, growing my sports media, but on the side, being able to go around, I've had chances where schools will come and ask me to go speak to schools, to speak yep. to kids, um, to speak to businesses. That's cool to be able to tell my story in a lot of depth. And that's really rewarding on the side to be able to do that. Yeah. And and finally, what about going back to Albany? Uh, I mentioned before, you know, you're an absolute rock star, as they called you uh, in Albany. Um, you've got the keys to the city there, as I imagine. <laughs> Have you gone back there to accept them? 
No, I haven't gone back there since I left uh, after my fifth year. So my head coach has moved on. He's still in Albany, but he's not there at school anymore. But um, about to have a baby in the end of October. Uh, and after that, I, we plan to probably the next few years get back over to see all her family and all of my friends and family over there and I go up and to Albany and just probably won't be as crazy on the party scene like it used to be when I went to school. <laughs> Uh, I tell people don't believe me. I don't know what it is now, but we had three nights a week where it was one dollar beers at the pub. So there's no other place like yeah. that when I look think of memories. Um, so I can't wait to be able to go back and eventually show um, my kid, uh, my daughter, in a few years' time, and so you can actually understand uh, yeah. what school was like and what my memories were like. Maybe save the dollar beers until she's a bit older. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> but at least you haven't shattered that part of the myth for us, so I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no worries on that. Hey, Peter, congratulations uh, on your career uh, and congratulations on the bold move too, and I'm so glad that it's all worked out for you uh, and all the best with your future endeavours. Thanks so much. Thanks for chatting. Really appreciate your time. So thank you for coming in and sharing uh, your inspiring story with us. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.